Hey, good morning. Good morning, DCF family. Good morning. Uh, Y'all are chatting away this morning, connecting. I love that um, as you find your way to your seats. Um, Dave and I are so glad to be home. We missed everybody very, very much. So we had a very refreshing time away this last week. Um, We say that we kind of had a mullet vacation. We had a party and fun on the front side, and we got sick on the back side. So, um, but... We really did have a good time away. Did anybody get that mullet reference? Any at all? You know, so from the 80s. So anyway, that's where I feel like I need a drummer going. Boom. So, um, so anyway, so we love you guys. That's the biggest thing for us is we just really have a love for our DCF family. So thank you for being with us and choosing to worship with us this morning. So if you will stand with me and we are going to jump into worship. What I know is that the Lord is so faithful to us in um, his love for us, um, his faithfulness to us. And um, this morning we were just reading some from Matthew 11 in prayer of how he loves those who are humble. And this morning there is just a beauty in us trusting him like little children and having a humility of his love and his favor and his goodness towards us. So this morning, we want to come together and we want to worship our beautiful King. Um, I said it a few weeks ago. He knows me best and he loves me the most. And if you just let that sink in for a minute, that he knows you, where you are, everything about you, your past, present, future. He knows you the best and he loves you the most. So this morning, our King is worthy of love and affection and adoration. So let's turn our hearts towards him this morning, y'all. Father, we just come in the name of Jesus. We are so thankful for a love that is immeasurable, unchanging, and never-ending, Lord. Thank you, God, that you are the God who is with us, who is for us. Lord, you're not against us. So, Lord, this morning, we we just... Throw open the gates of our heart, Lord, that the King of glory may come in. Lord, we worship you in spirit and in truth this morning. Lord, thank you that your love for us is unfailing. God, we bless your name this morning. It's in your great name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's worship together, y'all.
sorrow and dead in my sin Lost without hope with no place to begin Your love made a way to let mercy come in When death was arrested in my life
God that presses through any walls of Jericho, however thick they may be, they will come crumbling. Lord, we obey you this morning, Jesus. I'll search the
declaration this morning. I don't know what enemy you're facing, but I know that I have some of my own enemies. And there is a song to release in this house this morning and for you to, to make a declaration in the spirit that I will sing in the presence of my enemies. And I'm going to sing louder. Your voice needs to be louder than the enemy's voice. The voice of God in you and through you needs to be louder than the voice of the enemy this morning. Come on, we're going to do this song again. I'm going to sing in the presence of my enemy. I don't know if your enemy is fear, your enemy is lack, your enemy is relationship, your enemy is your marriage is about to fall apart. I don't know what your enemy is, but this morning there is a declaration that comes from your voice that you're going to sing louder in the presence of your enemy because the Bible declares that He has prepared a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And that table is a feast of His goodness. It's a feast of Him being for you and not being against you. There is a feast of healing for you this morning. There is a feast of joy if you are feeling depressed and oppressed of the enemy. So whatever your enemy is this morning, sing a little bit louder. Are y'all going to do that with me this morning? That is a declaration in this house for us this morning.
just say thank you, Lord. Thank you that our hope is not in anything that we have done or can do, Lord, but our hope is in you, Jesus. Lord, thank you that when I'm not strong, Lord, even when I'm weak, Lord, your word just says that you are strong. So, Lord, thank you that you are strong in and through me. And, Lord, that when we do this, Lord, when we take a stand, Lord, the word says having done everything else, having done all, Lord, we stand. And, Lord, we lean into the wind. Lord, not because we need to back up. Lord, but even if in our own strength, we don't have what it takes to move forward. Lord, we know that we don't have to back down from anything that the enemy has brought against us. So we take a stand, Lord, and we don't back down. We stand up and say, Jesus, you are for us, Lord. And your word says, if you are for us, nothing and no one can be against us. So, Lord, we honor you this morning. We celebrate you regardless of the circumstances, Lord. We celebrate you in spite of the circumstances, Lord, because this is who you've called us to be in our own life, Lord, and in the lives of others all around us, Lord. We become a reflection of who you are in this world. So, Lord, thank you, Lord, that we don't have to do it in our own strength. But, Lord, you've given us so much more. Lord, it's in you, and it's in you that we trust. And we say thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Go ahead and have a seat. We have a, a bit of a special Sunday this morning, so I'm going to jump right into it. We uh, thank you, by the way, for our worship team. You guys are rocking. We love you guys. You're awesome. And also, uh, thank you if you're here uh, for the first time. In just a second, we're going to have you come up and sing a special. That's what we, no, I'm just kidding. We're, <laughs> some of you are just like, oh my gosh, that can't be right. So, uh, no, we're just really glad you guys are here. We know, um, I've been around church for a very long time, and we know that when you're here on a Sunday morning, a lot of times what you want to do is you just want to come in, check it out, see if this is where God has you, see if there's a connection, see if you are connected to um, the worship, connected to the people, connected to what the Lord is doing, and find out if this is a good fit for you. So if that's the case with you this morning, we're glad you're here. And also, you couldn't have picked a better Sunday to show up because we're going to be talking about membership today. Um, This morning, we are doing something called Legacy Membership. And so next Sunday, we're going to bring in new members. So if you've been uh, kind of connecting new at DCF for the past couple of months, and you're like, you know, I want to be a member, I want to plug in, I want to be all in, uh, next Sunday is going to be for you. And so in the meantime, uh, we've got some stuff for you to review if you haven't done it yet. Um, So far, we've had two times where we did new membership. We do an About Us class on Sunday mornings. Following Sunday is Membership 101, and then the following Sunday is Membership 102. And somebody actually in one of those classes this last time said, you have to really want to be a member at DCF because we do those at 8 o'clock in the morning. Or is it 8.30? 30. So it's even easier than we thought. It's 8.30 in the morning. But for some of you guys, like, that's too early. Well, it's not too early. You need to show up, right? <laughs> so, um, but this week, this Sunday, we're bringing on board legacy members. So what is a legacy member? A uh, legacy member, when we came here 14 years ago uh, as pastors, Karen and I, 14 years ago, we joined a journey that was already occurring at DCF. Uh, DCF been going now, I think it's over 40 years uh, since the beginning. I was sharing with some new people this morning. Uh, DCF was born kind of out of the Jesus movement with a lot of young people, a bunch of hippies who got saved, and, and they tried to plug them into some other churches, and, and nobody wanted hippies. I don't know why, but they didn't want the hippies. And so young people ended up, basically, they started their own church, uh, and over, over the process of connecting with some other churches, combining, and just the Lord working all those things out, it became DCF, Dothan Christian Fellowship, and has been a church in our city now for over 40 years. So it's a tremendous legacy. Uh, there's probably nowhere in the city that you, that you see God moving that you can't 
trace that back to somebody who was affected in, at Dothan Christian Fellowship over the years who uh, grew or learned or got saved at DCF, who plugged in and started doing some amazing things in our city. So we're incredibly thankful for the legacy that we have as a church, and we want to celebrate that. So again, when we came 14 years ago, we prayed about membership and all the things, the governmental things, and what we sensed was um, that the Lord wanted us to just build this organically first, to just rebuild and rebuild foundations and make sure those things were in place as we grew and moved forward, to hold on to all the things that the Lord meant to have at DCF over the years and then celebrate what he was taking us into and the new, and, and new things that we were, uh, again, coming into in this new season. And so because of that, we did not do official membership. So probably you're thinking, I was a member the whole time because you've been here the whole time, and that's true, <laughs> right? So there were some aspects that we, we covered. But what we did is we went through and we said, what does it actually look like to be a member, first of all, just a member of a local church? And then secondly, what does it mean to be a member of Dothan Christian Fellowship? So I'm just going to be real, real easy and, and, and simple. So there's a couple things that we did. We talked about what are the requirements for being a member at DCF, and it turns out there's just one requirement. There is one but there's only one requirement, and that's really, really simple, and it's this. You need to have a vital, personal walk with Jesus. So what does that mean? It means you confess him as Lord and Savior, submit to the yoke of his discipleship as laid out in the Scriptures. So why did we say that? Because if some people, you ask them, hey, are you a Christian? They're going to say yes, and you ask them why, and they're saying, because my mama was. Welcome to the South, <laughs> part of the culture, right? But we want to make sure that people have their own relationship with the Lord and a vital walk in, indeed. And so this is where Scripture comes in. It says this in 1 John 2, 3 through 6. It says, now by this we know that we know him. So if you're, if you're wondering what Scripture says about how you know you're a Christian, this is the Scripture for you. By this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. So it's talking about Jesus. Verse 4 says, he who says, I know him. And does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. John was a get-to-the-point kind of guy, right? So he goes on, he says, But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him, Jesus, ought himself also to walk just as he walked. So here's what we know. When you become a Christian... You get a new heart. The Bible says you get a brand new heart. You get a brand new life, and you are different. You have been transformed. The Bible says you are being transformed, right, from glory to glory. So we know there's a process of maturity, but there's something that happens that you are a different person when you come to know Jesus and you begin to have a vital walk with him. So we just want to point that out. That's, that's the one requirement, but it's a real one. And we want to make sure that if you are going to be a member at DCF, that you meet that requirement. So if you're curious about that or have questions about that, we'd love to talk to you about that as leaders. But if you're on board with that and, and you're, 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 you're there, then that's the one requirement. And then we have what we call expectations. So what are the expectations? The expectations are, are twofold. One is the expectations that you as members can have on us as leaders. And so those are real, real simple. Uh, we have an eldership-led church. Uh, elders govern. The Bible talks about elders being appointed to oversee the body, right? Scripture speaks to that, and we go into this in our About Us class and membership class. Uh, but elders govern, and then the Bible says there are deacons who come alongside to serve. So here's what elders do. They govern, which just simply means to rule, to be over, to stand before, and rank, to preside. And what it really means in leadership is to go there first, right? So it, it's a picture of real leadership, Jesus kind of leadership who went ahead of every, everything. 
not from title or position, but sacrifice and service. Um, the Bible says if you want to be in the, the greatest in the kingdom, you become the servant, the biggest servant. That's the picture of leadership in governing is to serve, govern by serving. And then to guide means simply instruction, doctrine, learning, teaching, and it means to model the way of Christ. Paul said it this way. He said, when I came to you, he said, you know my manner of, of living. You know my life. You saw how I handled bad business deals. You saw how I handled people when they weren't happy with me. You saw how I handled the disappointments in life. You saw me for I, who I really was, not who I pretended to be with a title or position. So this is the kind of leadership that God has given to the church. And lastly is to guard, to hold the mind towards, to pay attention, to be cautious about, apply oneself, uh, to attend to, beware, be given to, take to, heed to, and have regard. And simply put, this is in Hebrews 13. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them. That is a powerful statement. And it's expecting health and wholeness in your leaders. I'm going to pause right there for a second. It doesn't just say, I, I remember someone said, you, sh- you should obey the, the, the leaders that God's called you to. Obey those who are over you in the Lord. And I said, too often, we leave that last part off, off of it, right? We obey those and then it just stops there. But the Bible says, obey those who are over you in the Lord. And that's the, that's the picture is health and wholeness and leadership. This is what we want in our families and our moms and dads. If you have healthy moms and dads, guess what you're going to have? You're going to have healthy children. Amen? So it goes on. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. As leaders, we recognize that we are in submission to Christ, even though he's called us to lead, we are still in submission to Christ, and you are his bride, and we are going to give an account for how we led his bride. That's powerful, and it keeps us, it keeps us sober-minded about that. goes on, it says, um, let them do this with joy and not with groaning. So, so don't, you know, when, when they're leading you, help them to lead with joy, not with gro- Don't be the person that makes the elders groan. Right? It says, do this with joy and not with groaning. Why? For that would be of no advantage to you. So the picture Jesus is painting is he's put leaders in place. He's put moms and dads in place. He's put fathers and mothers in place. Why? To be a benefit and a blessing to you. That's what he's called us to do. So, so the deacons are simple. What they come along to do is they bring unity and they drive unity. They serve and they care for the people. And the Bible says they are full of faith and the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but I want our leaders to be full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. Amen? All right. So my wife does. That's good. All right. So but here's the expectations that we have of membership for, for you guys. What does it mean to be part of a local church, a local body? So the, the challenge that we have with this sometimes is uh, people say, are these requirements? And the answer is no. That's why we changed the language and said there's one requirement, that vital walk with the Lord. And then there's four expectations that we have. There's expectations you can have with us as leaders, how we're going to serve and how we're going to lead. And then there are expectations that God gives us as the body to, to the leaders. And it says this, a passion for transformation. This is our first one. So what does that mean? Uh, our our uh, vision at DCF is to be transformed by encountering grace in the Holy Spirit. It's who we are. It's what we do. It's around everything. It's how we do youth ministry. It's how we do kids ministry. So this is who we are. We have a passion for transformation in people's lives. The last thing we want to see is people come into a church uh, one year, and then five years later, they are still the same. That is not a picture of health and wholeness. God expects us to transform and grow. Number two is commitment to community. Consistent engagement with the community 
through corporate gatherings. So that means Sunday mornings, time, time we come together through participating in community groups and being a part of that. We've been talking about the who, uh, uh, talking about the who of community and the who of the local church. Diane did a great job on that last week talking about family, and we were made for community. This is how God designed it. So there's an expectation for a commitment to community, and then there's an expectation of stewardship of gifts. So one thing we do at DCF, if you notice, sometimes when you come in, you're not sure who the leaders are. And the reason why is because God can move in, in people all through here, mature believers, gifts. He can, he can even move in immature believers through gifts. That's one why we've talked about and spent so much time in talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit don't necessarily mean that the person is mature, right? And it's helpful to know that. But everybody can minister, and, and how you do that is God has gifted every single person in the body of Christ very specifically. He's called you to be who you are, and we need you. We went after this in one of the prior messages. Um, so what does that look like? First Peter 4.10 says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very, various grace. So how do you know if you're doing this well? Are you stewarding your gift? Are you taking the gift that God has put inside of you, and are you serving others with it? Or are you just serving yourself? This is a good question to ask. And then join grace teams. Whatever our grace teams are, our grace teams are all about how God has gifted you. If you love to worship, if you love to lead people in worship, um, then come and connect. If you can sing, that's a helpful, you know, or play a, an instrument, that's good. <laughs> also, if you want to be part of the worship team, we have a production team in the back. We have a communication team that's building. We have a finance team. There's so many teams in our church, and all of those grace teams are built around the grace that God has gifted you with. So our expectation is you, as you grow as a believer, that you would find your space, your grace space in the body, and that you would begin to serve and let God, the gift that God has poured inside of you, become a blessing to those around you. Amen? And then the last thing is generous giving. And we're going to get into that a little bit today in my message. But finances, offering, charity, um, just giving, service to the body, so giving of your time, giving of your resources, uh, being open to missions as we re-engage with missions around the world, being open to be a part of that team and go into other parts of the world and serve, uh, even if it's short-term, for a week or so. Just being open to say, I want to be generous with my life. I don't want to be stingy with the life that God's given me, with my gifts, with my time, and also with my money. And so 2 Corinthians 9 talks about this. It says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. So he, he paints a picture of farming, and this is what he says. If you put very few seeds out, guess what you're going to get? You're going to get a very small harvest. But if you put lots of seed out, you're going to get a big harvest. He finishes with this. He says, um, <clears throat> uh, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. He, the New Testament giving is about you deciding in relationship with the Lord based on the needs around you of what it is that you're going to do. Very, very intentional. It's not lackadaisical at all. And then he says, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Why? Because God loves a cheerful giver. Why? Because God is a cheerful giver. He gave his only begotten son. Right? And he did it, and the Bible talks about Jesus laying down his own life. And he said he did it because on the other side of the cross was something that he longed for, which was real, right relationship with you and I. He wanted you and I, and so because of that, he gave the most generous gift he could possibly give. Jesus gave his own life. Why? So that he could have relationship with you and I. And I don't know about you guys, but that excites me. 
And then I get to do that. And as I live a generous life in my time, my talents, my treasures, as I do that, something powerful begins to happen. And people see Jesus in me, and they want him. Amen? So that's what membership is about. It's about representing Jesus in a local area in the way that we're supposed to. None of us are perfect, right? Especially me. (laughs) But there is an expectation that when you begin your walk with the Lord, these expectations we talk about are a picture of you moving into places of maturity and representing Jesus well through your gifts, through your talents, through your abilities, through serving, through stewardship of your gifts, all those different ways. So what happens if you're not doing all four of the expectations? We get it. Life happens. Sometimes it takes a while to grow into some things. We get it. But part of being in the body is we minister to one another and we challenge one another. Scripture, I'm going to start with my message, says to to contemplate how to stir up one another to good deeds, to love and good deeds. How do you and I stir up one another to see Jesus flow and move among us? Because there's a whole world out there that needs him desperate. Amen? So that's my sermon. (laughs) So what we're going to do now is we're going to have our legacy members come up. And this is just before you come up. These are people who are who've been probably been members for a long, long time and recognize that they are. But we ask them to go online and or be a part of the new membership class or to sit through the sermons that I preached back in uh, April and May. And those are up online if you want to go review them. Uh, they reviewed that. They're saying yes to that to that one requirement that yes, they have decided. You know, they're following Jesus, especially our elders and deacons, so that's a really good thing. <laughs> and then also that they're going to walk into those expectations as the Lord gives them the grace and the ability to do that. So uh, if we could have our elders, first of all, come on up. You guys are going to come up here with me. And then our deacons, if you would, come on up as well. And so, um, and then we're going to have legacy members. So we're all coming on board as members. I know that sounds silly, but um, again, because it's not been official, uh, your pastor gets to officially become a member of his own church. So that's interesting. I don't know how that tweets, (laughs) but it ought to be interesting. Um, And then if you are a member, uh, a legacy member, and you signed up for that, and you want to be a part of us as well, all these guys have already done that. If that's you, y'all come on up as well. So we have a few more of those. And that's by way available to you guys. If that's something, again, you want to do, go ahead and go online and check that out. I'm going to put up, when I preach my message this morning, I'm going to put up about uh, a QR code that will take you to the place to sign up so you know exactly what's required of you. Um, Anybody else? All right. Come on, bring Elliot. I like that kid. Look at that. (laughs) Yeah, bring him up here. I don't know if he signed up online or what, but we'll take him. All right. So if you would, would you stand with us? And and I want you to, to help us do this. Because, again, this is, this is what we're saying. God, we want to do this in a beautiful way that represents you so well and, uh, and represent, represents you in our community, in our city, in our families. We want to see God move through us in powerful ways. And so this is really simple, simply put, we are a family. And I think Diane did a great job last week of talking about that. We are the family of God. We all have a family of record who we were born into in our family. Maybe they were healthy. Maybe they weren't. But as we move into the family of God, he wants to grow us up and he wants to do powerful things to us. So if you would, just reach your hand out towards us and we're going to pray over these legacy members. And then next week, we're going to bring on new members and that's going to be an exciting time. But let's just pray. So Jesus, we just say thank you so much, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you have been doing this in relationship the whole time, Lord. All we're doing is just making it official. We're just, Lord, we're just talking about who 
can, who can be counted on, and Lord, who can, who can they count on as leaders? And so, Lord, we just celebrate that today. We want to honor that and say, Lord, we are all in for the vision that you've given us as a church. Lord, we commit all of our resources, we commit our time, our talent, our treasures, Lord, to fulfilling the call of God on this local church in this local city into the regions, Lord, and into the nations of the world in the way that you called us to do it. And so, Lord, we celebrate that. We honor it, and we say thank you, and we say welcome into the body of Christ. Welcome into this family of God, this local family of God, in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Thanks so much. We celebrate you. Praise God. Um. If you are new with us this morning, it's a little bit different. So, um, so we're glad that you are with us. We would love to get to know you, get to know a little bit about your story and how your story fits into the vision of this house. You can go to dothancf.com, do um, the connection card. I'm new here. And we will, someone this week will be in touch with you, one of the leadership team, and kind of get to connect and hear a little bit about how you um, came to know about DCF. Um, if you are a veteran in this house, Veterans Day is this Saturday. But if you're a veteran in this house, would you stand? We want to take a moment and honor you. Yeah. Amen. Amen. We are incredibly, incredibly grateful. I always get very emotional um, with this or Memorial Day, either one. We are incredibly grateful for the service of men and women who will sacrifice and lay their lives down for the sake of freedom and to stand against tyranny. And so um, both foreign and domestic, you can tell I'm married to a military husband. And um, so we just honor you deeply today. Thank you. Um, Okay. Um, I need to know what the next thing is. Fostering hope. Um, Fostering hope, you guys. Who is excited about fostering hope, our Christmas hope together? Um, we have got our, uh, we are collectively as a church, um, corporately sponsoring five children this year. And, um, if you help to participate in getting the Christmas decorations up, I know it's a little bit early for Christmas, but we were like, we're doing Christmas hope and we're launching it today. So we wanted to kind of set the atmosphere a little bit. And, um, so we have our fostering hope, Christmas hope tree at the back today, y'all. There's a little bit of instructions just for you to be aware of. You are going to get two tags off of the tree whenever you pick them up. We have five team leaders that will be there to help, to answer questions with anything that you need. You're going to actually keep one tag, and you're going to drop one tag. You're going to keep the tag that has the information about the child on the card. This is their Christmas wish list, okay? And then you're also going to take this card, which is going to, you're going to put your name on it, and the child, um, uh, their, your number on it and which child you have. And this is going to get dropped in the box. We have to keep accurate um, record of, like, who has got what gift for what child. So um, if you need questions, we will have, or if you've got questions, we will have leaders there available to help. But we want to make sure that this tree is cleared of all of those tags. And then we have until December the 3rd to have all of our Christmas tags back in. So we will have a few weeks, so grab kids and sponsor them, y'all. We love being a part of Fostering Hope in our community. Um, 
And then today, after lunch at 1.30, we're going to be finalizing the decorations. So whoever wants to come and participate in that, that is just family fun, y'all. Um, so um, no stress, just hanging out and laughing and having a good time. And then next week, remember, we are doing our family Friendsgiving for the holidays. Please invite a family member um, or friends or a co-worker, someone who just needs to belong and be in family and be in community, especially through the holidays. And um, so we are going to make it low-key. It's lightweight, low-maintenance. Bring what you need for your family, additional to share. And we are just going to have an outside. I hope the weather, y'all pray for beautiful weather like today. And um, so, but we are going to do that and have family fun games and everything out on the grounds. And so we hope you will be a part of that. And then there's multiple ways to give. We are a generous house, and we're so thankful for that. That can happen in person in the box up front or online. We are going to, at this time, dismiss our kids. They're going to go um, out the double doors to the back. Our youth are going to be going with David Woodham over here to the side. That's our um, 7th grade and up, 7th through 12th grade. And so we'll be right back with our message. All right. Um, I I mentioned before that we're going to put up a a QR code. So if you have been thinking about membership at DCF and you've been looking into that, uh, especially if you've been to the classes, um, this QR code will take you to a place where you can just sign up for membership. And again, we ask you, if you haven't been through membership class, we do have those online. They were, uh, I preached a sermon series about church membership uh, back in April and May. And so if you can go back and find the information about that and just review that. And again, we, we take it seriously. So we'd love for you, if you want to be a part of us, to, to, to go look at those and say, yeah, I'm totally in. And it also it creates an opportunity if you have questions about how we do what we do or how you know, our church is different than maybe what you've come from. Uh, or maybe you've never experienced church membership at all, uh, it's a great place to uh, just ask us questions. We're happy to answer any questions about that. And then we will bring on new members, our people who've been here for a shorter amount of time who want to join us as a church in the vision God's given us uh, next Sunday. So that's going to be fun. And if you have any questions, you can ask any of our leaders that will be hanging around after the service. So let me start this message by uh, just kind of going over some of the things I talked about in the series for the last two and three weeks. Uh, the first two I preached, and then uh, the last one, uh, Diane preached. She did a phenomenal job. Isn't that awesome? We just love, we love Diane. Dan, thank you. That was awesome. We were out of town, but we were like, we're so on board for what she was talking about, and it's just connected to everything that we're doing, so we love that. Um, so I talked in week one about the why of the local church. Um, a lot of people don't understand. They, they think that church membership um, or being a part of a church is just kind of, I show up to an event on Sunday morning, and the church is not a building. <laughs> the church is you. That's how Jesus designed it. It's the, it's the called out ones, the ecclesia. We go, we go into all that and we talked about that. The why of the local church. We talked about four reasons why the local church is imperative in our world today. Uh, we went after that a bit. And then the second week, we talked about the who of the local church. We talked about the fact that you are the local church, that you need the local church. And then lastly, the local church needs you. So how God designed this to work together in all of us. And so we talked about that. And then we continue with the who of the local church last week with Diane, about talking about we as a family and what that looked like and how we were created for community. And she went into vulnerability and some, some amazing, amazing things. And so again, uh, there's lots of information. If you haven't been following it, you can go back online. We also put PDFs. Anything you see on the screen up here, our scripture references, all those things, we put that as a PDF. So you can go and download that and do deeper study if you want to go after that. So a lot of things can happen with me and God without you. 
<laughs> I can have a relationship with Jesus. I've met people who, uh, who like Paul, had an, uh, had an encounter with Jesus outside of the church, so to speak. Jesus just came to him. Uh, we had a friend. The Lord showed up. He was on drugs, uh, and he said he was walking around the campus. This is, uh, this is way back in the, in the 70s. And he said, I was walking around the campus, and I heard the Lord say, if you'll go to the square, uh, everything will be all right. And he said, I didn't know it was the Lord at the time. It was just a voice inside my head. And he goes, and, it, and, and, and sad to say, voices inside my head were not that unusual. <laughs> he goes, but this was the first one who ever told me it was going to be all right. He said, all the other voices were pretty negative. So he said, I showed up in the, in the quad that day. This is University of Michigan, like 40,000 students. He shows up in the center quad, and he said he's high as a kite. And he said, and he walks up, and a guy's preaching the gospel. He hears the gospel, gives his life to Jesus, and that was the beginning. So the Lord literally knocked him off his donkey, so to speak. But he very quickly brought him into relationship with someone preaching the gospel and then very quickly connected him to, the, to a local church. And he was one of my Bible professors when I was in, in Bible college years ago. And so he, he became a missionary to Mexico. He's back in California leading a church. So God, God will, he will save us. He can do amazing things with just me and him. But he never meant for us to be alone. And we all know that, right? You've heard me preach this many, many times. One of my favorite scriptures, I used it last week, I mean the, the uh, second week and the week before that, was Psalm 68, 6, and it talks about God setting the lonely in families. It says God sets the lonely in families. Look at the next part. It's, he says he leads the prisoners out with singing. You ever wonder why Christians get together and sing? You ever try to be happy and not sing? It's very difficult to, to be happy but not sing. You start humming. Like people are like, what are you doing? They're like, I don't know. I'm just happy. Springtime, all the birds start singing. Why is it? Because wintertime is over and new things and new life. It's just that's what you do. And so the Bible takes advantage of that, speaks to that, says he leads out the prisoners with singing. Fascinating, this contrast of, he says he sets the lonely in families. He's talking about the church, talking about the kingdom. He says he leads the prisoners out with singing. But look at the, the contrast with the next part of that scripture. It says, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. Isn't that interesting? Like he leads the prisoners out. So this, this, this picture of people being in bondage to something, and he leads them out of that bondage and out into, you know, into apparently not a sun-scorched land. So the part of the bondage is you're in a desolate place. You're alone. There's no refreshment. There's no water. And the sun is just beating down. I mean, it's such a beautiful picture of, of what happens when you are alone and without anybody else. And so this is how the Bible paints the picture of he leads them out of bondage. But what, is, what are they in bondage to? Um, no relationship, no connection, no help but themselves, no resource beyond themselves. They're, he's leading them out of self, selfishness and self. There's nothing worse than someone who is full of themselves. Right? If you've ever met somebody, if you've ever been that person, you know that in the beginning it's awesome. I take care of myself, don't care about anybody else. But very, very quickly that turns negative in a big way. So what did God have in mind when he says, I'm going to lead them out. I'm going to lead them out of this bondage into singing. There's a scripture in Hebrews 10 that says this. It says, we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. And then he describes this new way. He says, by the new and living way. In other words, the old was an old and a dead way. <laughs> in the new covenant, what Jesus did on the cross creates a new and a living way. 
The Bible talks about when you become a believer, something transforms inside of you. You get a new heart. It says literally you are a new creation. On the outside, you may look the same. But on the inside, something changed. There was a transformation and a new heart, and now there's an open connection. There's a a relationship between you and God, and he begins to speak his life inside of you, and you begin to transform, and you become different. This is an interesting picture of the life that Jesus came to bring because he modeled it himself. You see this in Matthew 10. He says, he who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Isn't that weird? What a a weird way to say it. He who finds his life will lose it. In other words, if you go about selfishness and you're doing your own thing and you're pursuing whatever you think life should look like, he says, if you do that, you will lose your life. Why? Because you are separated from the one who created life in the first place. As long as you're separated from the one who gives life, you are never going to have life. And so another scripture, this is a very familiar scripture about giving and generosity. It says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. And some of you guys, when I read that, heard Charlie Brown's teacher. Womp, 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 womp. Because you heard that scripture so many times, right? And it's so easy to gloss over this stuff. But listen to it in another version. This is the message Bible. I call it the hippie Bible. It's, a, it's not a translation. It's a paraphrase. But it's interesting because he brings out something that we miss. He says, uh, he says it this way. Give away your life. You'll find life given back. So if you give your life away, it just makes no sense in the natural. But if you give your life away, you find it. Right? He says, but not merely given back, but given back with the bonus and blessing." And he says this, giving, not getting, is the way. That's the new and living way Jesus is trying to teach us about. And then he says this, generosity begets generosity. Isn't that interesting? Like he's painting a picture and he says, he says I know how you lived in previous times. Paul would come in and he would preach this message. And he goes, and, and Jesus even said, you've heard it said, but I'm saying to you something new and different. So I want to teach you something about relationship with God that maybe you've missed. And then Proverbs 14, 12 creates this incredible contrast. It says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. So the image in the original language is a traveler on a straight road. It seems safe, but it's fatal because the destination is wrong. There's a way that seems right. What, what's the way that seems right? I don't know about you guys, but I was told... That if I would go to college, if I would, you know, I'd graduate high school, stay on track, graduate college, then everything's going to be fine. I'm going to have the American, you know, I'm going to have, I'm going to live the American dream. It's going to be amazing. And I tried that and it turns out I couldn't afford college. (laughs) So I went in the military to help me afford college and they sent me overseas and that was challenging. And then they, they, I guess for some reason they figured since I'd signed up for the military that I should go fight in a war. So they sent me to Desert Storm and I'm like, I don't remember signing up for this. My recruiter's like, you totally did. It was in the fine print. (laughs) I was like, oh yeah, there was some of that that I didn't read. So I'm like, all my ideas of what life was supposed to be like was not, it was not working out the way I thought it was, right? So the contrast is there's a way that seems right. The, the going after the American dream, work hard. You know, you, you get a good job, you have nice things, and you have a nice house. And if you do that, every, everything's going to be happy. It's going to be, and we all know if you live a little bit of life, you know that it's just not true, right? So he's painting the contrast. He said, there's a way that seems right, 
But it's not right because the end of it, the destination, if you keep going down that road, keep traveling that road, you're going to end up in a place of death. So what is this talking about? It's not just dying physically, but it's, but it's living a life that is never connected to the one who gives you life. And that's the picture that Jesus is trying to paint in all this. So, Psalm 68 really goes after this when it says he, he draws us or calls us out of a sun-scorched land. So when you first walk out into the desert, you got water in you, <laughs> right? And you walk out here and you're like, oh, this is not so bad. Look, it's bright and it's sunny. <laughs> and then day 45, it's like it's still bright and it's sunny. Only now your skin is parched and you haven't drank any water and you're like, I'm going to die in the desert. Right? And, it's, and it's such a picture, again, of the aloneness that comes when you don't follow the life that Jesus brings. And one of the things that, said, that Jesus does when he brings us life is he said, I'm going to give you a new heart and a new life and a new family. And that's the part sometimes we miss. Like, what is church? Church is not something you attend. You can't attend you. <laughs> right? You are the church. You are the called out ones. Jesus rescues us from the sun-scorched land, and he draws us into himself. He gives us life. He gives us the water of life. I mean, there's so many illustrations. You see Jesus talking about this. He refreshes us. He begins to give us a new heart. We become a new creation, something new, a new and a living way, a new way of living. And it turns out the new way of living is anything but selfish. It's all about serving. It's all about giving. It's all about being generous. Why? Because the one who is generous was generous to us so that we could also be generous. The new life that God gave us, this new life of being believers, is generous. I, I mentioned this before. You want to be great in the kingdom of God? Be the servant of all. It doesn't make any sense until you do it. And then when you do it, it makes all the sense in the world. So we talked about what does it mean to be a member of a local church. And so I, I put this in my notes. Membership is in the family of God. Or sorry, membership in the family of God is membership in the local church. That's why we say the one requirement is you need to be a believer. You need to be a Christian to be a part of any local church. So you see this in the book of Acts, that, that Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Silas at one point, they're going around and they're planting new churches. So what are they doing? They're going in and they're proclaiming the gospel, the good news, drawing people out of the sun-scorched land, talking about a new way, a new life whether he's talking to, uh, to Jews about the, the old covenant and Jesus saying, you've heard it said, about, said it this way, but I'm saying this, there's something new. Even the old covenant was just a painting or a picture or a representation of what is coming, right? And then Paul goes and he's preaching to all the Gentiles who don't have the law. And he's telling them, hey, there's something better than just living for yourself and, and, you know, and, and, and sexuality and all the things that you think are, are identifying you. There's something way more. There's something way bigger. There's something that God's calling you to where this is going to just lead in death, but this other thing is going to take you into life. And he preaches into this, and he talks about this one requirement. What is, how is it connected that Jesus dies on a cross? Why? Because we were separated from God because of our sin. We had messed up, we had screwed up, we had proven very quickly that we could not be righteous in our own strength. And so the law comes around for the Jews, and the law says, hey, this is what is required. And, and the Jews stood on, the, on that day when the law was given out by Moses, and they said, we will do everything that's in this law. And they were lying. <laughs> they had great intentions. They're like, we should do it. Maybe that, if they'd have said that, it would have been better. We should do everything that's been written and you said. Of course you should. But they said, we will. And so what was the law for? To show us that we can't. 
And the harder we try it, the worse it gets. Because either we become religious, selfish, hate, hateful people. You see this? Jesus bumps up against the religious crowd constantly. Selfish, angry, hateful, self-serving in their own way. They just masked it with religion. Or like the, the, you know, the uh, rich young ruler, he's got so much stuff and he's got his life and his personal life is so amazing or so he thinks that he can't let go of that to take hold of the self, selfless life that Jesus is offering. So either way, that's how it works out. So what is it? It's a personal walk with Jesus. It's a vital walk. It's being in connection, in relationship with God. That's what real church membership is all about. And then he puts us together in a family. And that's where we talked about the expectations. What are the expectations? He said, I'm going to put in your midst leaders. You go back and read the book of, of Acts. The book of Acts is amazing because it's the first picture of the first church. And so it goes through, Jesus is promising all these amazing things about this new covenant. And then you see it begin to work itself out practically in the real world in the book of Acts. And so they go around, Paul goes around and he, he's got a team with him, usually him and another person, uh, like a, a prophet and apostle going out together because Ephesians 2 talks about the church is built on the prophets and apostles, but it's built with the foundation of Jesus being the chief cornerstone. In other words, he's not changing and this is the foundation you build it on. You build it on him in this new way of living. And so he, he, Paul, they go and preach this everywhere they go. All over the known world at the time, they're preaching this. Sometimes it's celebrated. Sometimes they get beat. And they're literally sent out of, the, out of the city with their tail between their legs, almost dead, and preach that into the next city. And you see it happen over and over again. And then later on, after they do this several times, he comes to his, his son, his sons in the faith, Timothy and Titus. And he says to them, now I want you to go everywhere we planted a church. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to appoint elders now. Why? Because the church by itself, without government, without leadership, the way God designed it is not a healthy church. Any more than a family without a mom and a dad is a healthy family. Now some of you guys go, what about, what about single moms? <clears throat> and the answer is yes. Jesus can, he can, he can bring up whatever's missing. We get that. There are times when churches are beginning and they have new eldership or they have only one elder and the Bible talks about a plurality of elders and you should have more than one. So there's a season in the book of Acts where there weren't elders in the church and yet they go around and appoint them. So how did they do that? I mean, think about the practical aspect of it. They go in and say, okay, everybody at DCF, I want you to put in your resume and we're going we're gonna to decide who is going to lead this church here. That's what we're going to create. So that's not what they did. They walked, in the, they walked into a church, and through recognition and revelation, they recognized who God was already putting in place as elders in their church, right? So they just looked around and said, who's in charge? So not too long ago, I was sitting down with a, <clears throat> a leader of some Bible studies, and, uh, and there, was, there was more than one leader, but they're trying to, you know, they, they, a lot of them had come away from church, had been hurt in church, and they were in this Bible study. And, and so I said, so who leads it? And they're like, well, there's a couple of people who leads it. I said, okay, so who leads it? <laughs> they said, well, you know, we don't really have a leader. I said, so who leads it? Y'all see what I'm getting at, right? <laughs> you ever been a part of something where there's no leader? No, you have not. Because there is no such thing. There's always going to be someone leading. They're either going to be leading appropriately and in a godly and a helpful way, right? Or they're going to lead by manipulation. There's only two ways that that's going to go down. And so if you say, I want to be a part of the church, but we're not going to have a leader, yes, you will, and it will be horrible. 
And so when God said, I'm gonna plant churches, he said, he's the one who did this. He said, now the Holy Spirit has appointed elders to oversee the body. What is that? They're fathers and mothers who come in and they lead the church. And the Bible says, if you're going to be an elder or a deacon, you must be these things. And then Timothy and Titus gives this list of what they ought to be. Do you know what it's all about? It's not about their gifting, although they're very gifted. It's about their character. Why? Because it's not about their gift. It's not about their title. It's not about any of those things. It's about who they are. Their identity, they've discovered in Christ, and they've settled it, and they have become selfless so that they can lead biblically, and they can lead in a godly way. You want to be a good dad? Lead selflessly. You want to be a good mom? Lead selflessly. Honor one another. The Bible says submit to one another. It talks about marriage. is wives submit to husbands, right? And then another place it says husbands are submitted to Christ and that Christ is submitted to God, the Father. So submission is not wrong because Jesus is doing it. You can tweet that. It's okay, <laughs> right? So nothing wrong with wives submitting to husbands, but the, but the expectation is husbands are submitted to Jesus, which makes it easy for wives to submit to husbands. Not always, my wife, when she gives me the gift of submission, it is truly a gift because I look at her and I go, if I'm not, I'm not real sure, but I think she could take me in a fair fight. So I have to sneak up on her, right? She's a high capacity, incredible, amazing woman. And she's proved that in the business world. She, she worked for a company and everywhere she went, she went to the top of the game. They keep coming to her on a regular basis and say, would you come back and train our leaders because you were so amazing in every way? And she's saying, yeah, I'll do some of that, but what I'm really gonna do is gonna give myself to the local church. That's what I'm doing. It's what God called me to do in leading, helping to lead the local church. So that's what leadership looks like in the, in the local church. Fathers and mothers raising up sons and daughters who become fathers and mothers, and it grows, and it grows, and the kingdom grows, and the kingdom grows. So expectations of leaders, we talked about that a little bit this, this morning, and then the expectations for members. Here's the thing, I mentioned those before, passion for transformation. So again, it's not a requirement. So if you don't have a passion for a transformation, our expectation is you grow in the Lord, you will become passionate for transformation in your own life, and transformation in the sphere of influence that God has given you in your life. So that's an expectation. Commitment to community. Same thing, maybe you come from a line of, of, of people who are like, community is dangerous. Every place I've ever been, I've been hurt. So maybe it takes you a while to grow into understanding healthy community and what it looks like to be vulnerable, but to be vulnerable to the right people. You don't, you're not vulnerable to everyone. That's not helpful, right? But you have to be vulnerable to someone, and the, and the expectation is it'll be someone who's healthy, who can help you in your growth as a believer. That's that commitment to community. Stewardship of gifts. First Peter, we talked about that, 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 that you want to know if you're stewarding your gift well. Are you using your gift to serve other people in the local church? Are you doing that? And if you're not, you are not stewarding your gift well. I have a gift. When I go and do sales, I can make a lot of money. <laughs> I sold steaks off the back of a pickup truck when I was in Bible college. And I know that sounds sketchy, but people bought them. <laughs> Matter of fact, I was, I was really good at it. And one day I had, a, I had a, the first bag phone. Some of you guys remember the bag phones? You young people don't know what I'm talking about. But it's, it was like this big, kept it in the truck. It was like $800 a minute to call. You know, and I'll use it like every once in a while. But it was super expensive, but I could afford it. You know why? I was a good salesperson. So, so I was, one day I was out in the pickup truck and we just carried 
like freezers, like a regular freezer in the back of the pickup truck, the cords just laying in the back of the bed. And we put dry ice in there and we put these, and we would sell these door to door, knocking on doors. One day I found a guy who had people coming in to do some work harvesting and he had a big crew of people. And he said, man, you know, he said, I would love to buy all of your steaks. I just don't have a freezer. And me being the good salesman and gifted as I am said to him, sure you do. If you buy all my steaks, I will give you this freezer. And he said, done. So I took the whole thing off, plugged it in for him, made the sale, got back. And my supervisor said, where's your freezer? And I said, I sold it. And he said, you can't sell the freezer. And I said, I would have sold the pickup truck it was on if the deal was good enough. And that's what you hired me to do. You just don't know that. <laughs> and then I took my money and I went and bought a, a, a new freezer and still made money. That's the way, that's, part of that's my gifting. I mean, you guys know that. You're like, Dave can talk me into almost anything. I have to be careful with that gift because <laughs> I can talk you into some things that you don't want to do. But what I'm really supposed to do is take that gift and encourage you to do what God has already called you out to do. That's, a, that's stewarding my gift well in your life. So I have to be real, real careful not to manipulate you because I can. I don't want to. And if I find myself doing that, it's one reason why we have a plurality of elders and deacons and leaders in our church and other mature believers, because they will call me on that if, they're doing, if I start doing that. And so it's super helpful, stewardship of gifts. And then lastly, generous giving. What does it mean to be generous giving? Really, all of those expectations are generous giving. Like I said, serving in your talents, your, your, your treasures, all of the things that God has, your time, all of that is being generous with that. I think about, you know, we've got some people who are grace team leaders in our church who give probably 20 hours of their week at DCF to serve behind the scenes and you would never even know they're doing it except for you see the effects of it. We, we, are, we position ourselves as a much larger church than we actually are. And part of that is because we started from the beginning saying you should, serve, you should use your gifts to serve others. To the point where now we're, we're reaching out and, and, and our messages are going out. People are seeing Bosnia. There's people in Bosnia. There's people in Macedonia. There's people all over who are hearing some of our messages and going, hey, that's so amazing. Would you come talk to us about that? We were in Texas this last week, sat down with some friends of ours who did ministry 25 years ago. And their son now is leading ministry. And he's like, when you and Karen, y'all should come back. And when you do, you should take over our Bible study. We're like, well, we'll come and help. He said, no, take it over. Just show us how to do and do, teach us these things. Because they've been watching stuff on, our, on our, our services. And they're like, we need what you have. So, so God is using us to minister. Why? Because we have people who are so generous. I, I had a conversation at a conference one time. The guy said, you know, boy, we, we're trying to get people to serve in our church, but it's like pulling teeth. I'm like, I know, man. He's like, how many, how many of you think are serving in your church? I was like, oh, man, probably about 80, 90%, I'd guess. He's like, what? I said, yeah, you know, it's, it's, we're not there yet, but we're still working on it. And he said, did you say 8 and 9% or 80 to 90%? I said, yeah, that last one. He goes, I don't believe it. I said, well, what was happening in your church? He goes, we'd be lucky if we get 10 to 15% people serving. Oh, I just looked at him like, well, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> and then I was like, I was doing it wrong too. I just went back to scripture and said, how should we do it? And it turns out that if you teach what Jesus teaches, isn't it interesting? Timothy says this. I've been, I've been thinking about this for the past two weeks. Timothy said something that's so, I mean, it's so easy to gloss over it. He said, in the last days, people will not endure sound teaching. 
Now, isn't that an interesting word to use about sound teaching? That you have to, did you know to get sound teaching, you have to endure it? Some of you guys are going, I totally know what that means, Dave. I hear it from you all the time. <laughs> Why? Because it's, I, I want to say things you want to hear, but I can't because I'm, I'm, I'm being held responsible by Jesus, who I serve, to speak to his bride and to equip her for the works of service he's called her to do. So I have a requirement that pushes me past my desire to want to please you. And, and I have to move into the place where I have to challenge you and go, I love you but this is going to be hard to hear, right? But if you hear it and you take it in and you begin to honor that and grow in that and then you begin to teach that to others, what begins to happen is the kingdom begins to expand. It begins to grow in every sphere of influence because I don't have any, any influence in your sphere of influence. Only you have that. You have to take that into the world that God has given you, into your family family of record, into your workplace, into school, wherever you are connected, God's calling you into that. So what does it look like to be generous? I read this before, for, uh, 2 Corinthians 9. Remember this. this he, he challenged you, he said, remember this because you're gonna, it's going to come up. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. I mentioned this before. It's very interesting that he uses farming terminology, Right? Seeding, seeding and harvest, you know, seed time and harvest. He said, whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Which comes first, sowing or reaping? Some of you guys are farmers, you know. <laughs> you got to plant right before it comes up. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. So I want to talk about this and, and talk a little bit about where we are as the church in, 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 in general, just the church across the world, and what's happened over the last four or five years after, after COVID, and then us specifically as a local church and what God is, is challenging us into as we move into the future. So again, there's a lot of factors contributing to some of the challenges that local churches are having all over the world. Church giving has been going down on a regular basis. I mean, just the trends are people are giving less and less. I'm talking about believers. Um, inflation has been going up and up. I don't know. I've connected, we're connected with a lot of relating churches, some in Atlanta, some in different parts of the world. We just had a, a conference not too long ago with some relating pastors. We were up for a few days in Atlanta talking to them. And across the board, I don't know any church who has not dropped at least 30% after COVID, at least 30% in attendance and in giving. And those kind of go hand in hand often. I don't know any church who hasn't done at least 30. Some dropped way, way further. And then some reports have a third of churches in America shutting down because there wasn't enough giving, there wasn't enough serving, there wasn't enough generosity. There was just not enough. And some of them combined. There's churches right now, there's a big trend. Go look this up, Google it. There's a big trend now where people are buying churches and turning them into apartment buildings. Buying big 100-year-old, 150-year-old churches in downtown areas because the churches have dwindled down to next to nothing. And then some of them are, are actually combining. They're taking four, five, six, seven churches in an area and combining them into one church just to have enough people to support one local congregation. So that's happening all across America. What about inflation? I mean, anybody, anybody notice inflation? Or is that just me that I notice? <laughs> so here's, here's just the numbers. Um, uh, for 2020, you know, coming out of the last... <clears throat> the last leadership, I'm trying to be careful, be politically correct. Coming out of the last leadership uh, in 2020, uh, the inflation rate was 1.23%. That's really good, by the way. I mean, like astoundingly good. No new wars. There's a whole lot of good things that came out of that leadership. There were a lot of mean tweets, but some good leadership. I just want to point that out. 
Then 2021, 4.70%. And then 2022, 8% inflation. This is what the government has admitted to. So this year, the expectation is it's going for 2023 is going to be 4%. And when I read that, I laughed. Because I've been to the grocery store. And so have you. Right? That's a lie. We know that's a lie, but that's what they're saying. But even at those numbers, in just since COVID, that's roughly 15 to 18 percent inflation rate since COVID. I mean, we're looking almost 20 percent that, that our money has lost almost 20 percent of its value in the last four or five years. It's not a small thing. Uh, here, and the other thing that's happened in churches. Um, Key givers have retired or moved away. That's happened in our local church. People have retired. That's just part of congregations. As you, know, as you go through, it's, we talk about it's like a parade. There's people at the front. There's people at the back. And one of the big challenges of local churches is drawing in young people, drawing in young leaders, young believers, and growing them up. And so often we don't do a good job of that. And so for that reason, the church begins to falter because as people are, you know, are moving away from their key giving years and they're retiring or they're moving away or both, then all of a sudden who, we ask the question, who's giving now? And if we're not reaching new people and not reaching young people, we're not going to see the church be able to survive. It's just a matter of time before it all kinds of just falls apart. Um, in our own local church, we sent out three eldership couples over the last five or six years. One of them, we planted a church with them. Uh, you know, as small as we were, we planted a church. One, because we had a leader who wanted to go plant a church, and it's, it's going really, really well. They actually, this is up in, in Greenville, um, South Carolina, and they just purchased uh, a building that used to be a strip club. And I love that. And it's so funny, we were having a conversation with some people who are also up there in another, they're part of another church. And they said, we have people in our congregation who used to be strippers at that club who are now Christians who are so excited that they can now go back into that building in a different way. <laughs> so that's on you. Listen, you need to understand that's on you. You gave, you served. You ministered in, into this, you know, and just picking on Andrew and his family. You loved them. They took five years to figure out, God, what is it you're doing? And it was a tremendous struggle. And when we would go to conferences with them as leaders, we would leave them there for three or four days, two or three days, to just walk around the city and see, is this God where you want us to go and plant a church? You paid for that. I paid for that. We paid for that. You planted a church in Greenville, South Carolina. You did that. That's on you. And we forget that. This is what generous living and generous giving and generous serving actually accomplishes. It's powerful. So other things that are challenging, people, you know, facilities. I don't know if you guys know this, but your house probably doesn't need any work. But facilities from time to time need work. Our outside, the outside of our building needs painted. Um, that doesn't sound hard when you say it that way. But it turns out when they design this, go back and look at it when you leave. They, we've got little blocks that jut out and then go back in and jut out and go back in. So it basically creates a whole lot more space to paint. <laughs> so the last bid we got was what, uh, what was it? 30 something thousand dollars to paint the outside of the building? That's pre-COVID. Pre that was 15 to 8%, 18% less. <laughs> 
or it's more now, right? So, and then the interior of this building, the interior needs painting desperately. Do not look at our walls on a good sunny day because there's stains on the walls. You know why there's stains on the walls? Because the, the paint's not working on the outside. So when we get really bad storms, it soaks the concrete block and comes through on the inside. But the good news is our lighting is so horrible that you can't see the stains on the walls. <laughs> You got to find the silver lining, right? Y'all get it. Y'all understand. There's just so many things. I mean, really, there are lighting needs we need to do. Uh, one of the things we talk about when we're doing social media stuff is we, we really need better lighting because when we take photographs, it looks dark and dingy. It's just part of it. <clears throat> we need more lighting. Our, our production, you know, our, our speakers are, are a thousand years old. They're like your home speakers when you were kids, <laughs> right? So we need better systems. We need better things. We need so many things. And that's just the things that are kind of where they are. And all churches are going through this and we are going through it as well. So the challenge is that things are changing and we have to keep up. There are new opportunities. We need to do more outreach. Someone was asking us about outreach this morning. We need to do more outreach as a church. We did some stuff where we, we went to the, to the hospital, I think it was during COVID, and, and we, we, man, we served these guys, ended up praying for people, and it was wildly successful. And we're like, it, we struggled to do some of those things because that takes money, it takes time, it takes people to do it, right? We're, we're gonna challenge you to take on mission, what it means to be missionaries in your own sphere of influence. That's part of what the body calls us to, but we can do events, we can do some things. We're doing this thing uh, next week, Friendsgiving. That's an invitation for you to be generous, to reach out to people that you've been investing into their life and saying, man, I would love for you to come and, and, and connect with the family of God that I've connected with, especially some of you guys who are new. If this is the place you feel life is, God is giving life, then introduce new people to it. Those of us who've been around for a while, if you don't have friends who are not Christians, you need to make friends with people who are not Christians. And it is hard because they use the F word sometimes and you don't like that, right? They're mean to their spouse sometimes and you don't like that. They vote the wrong way and you don't like that, right? They have opinions that you don't approve of and it turns out they have a dead heart. And so if they get a live heart, a lot of those things will change. All of those things will change, right? They changed in you. So we, we want to give more to those who are in need. There's a tremendous need right now to just help people. There's such a need. We're talking about um, some of the things we're doing for Christmas. That's just one example. There's just so much need out there that we could begin to give more to if we could. Need to begin to support missions more financially. We've been giving to Bosnia. We had, uh, we had uh, Miladin come in <clears throat> uh, a week or so ago. And it was delightful. It was awesome. And we, and we sent him some more money. We, we, give, him, we give regularly um, every month towards that. We'd love to give more. If we give more, they're able to do more in the country. There are other pastors there that we could support and we could financially support if we could. Uh, we sent him a little bit extra when he came and he preached and he served us and spoke into some things to us as a congregation. So we blessed him when, when he sent him back with a little bit of money. Um, he was talking about how, you know, he came here to buy jeans and it turns out jeans used to be better to buy in America than over there because you get better jeans. He goes, you, you guys are producing some crap. He's like, I'm buying jeans over in Bosnia. It's cheaper because they don't last long. Some of that is, that's just the nature of where we are. But what I love about it is he comes in and he speaks to some things to us as a people who live in America that we would never think about. He talked about some of the challenges, right? Of what it really means to lay your life down for Christ in a country that's not as supportive as ours even, even with all of our challenges. So it's helpful to serve some of these guys and create room for them because they're reaching out in their own nations. So we could do more of that. 
There's a significant need for staffing for growth. I'm, I'm the only paid staff. And I know you guys think that all I do is play video games on this big screen during the week. And sometimes I do. I'm just kidding. I've never done that. I've never done that. But, but I'm, the, I'm the only staff guy. Now, thankfully, everybody serves at DCF, and that's wonderful. But let me talk to you about my frustration and your frustration if you are serving. You are what we call a marketplace person. And all that means, we have two marketplace elders, um, couples. Um, but, you know, Karen and I are on, uh, well, I'm on staff. Karen's not. She serves just like everybody else does. But I'm on staff. And so I get paid. I get paid a salary. And I'm very thankful. Uh, as a matter of fact, when, when I got hit with uh, pancreatitis, I, I was knocked completely down for at least three months. I couldn't do anything for almost three months. And this church stepped up and led, and preached, and did all those amazing things, and the church didn't bat an eye. It was, it was as good as when I, when I came back on board. It was as good as I left it, if I'm honest, probably a little better. <laughs> and you paid me the whole time. And that was kind, and it was generous, and that's part of our leadership team. And, and our, our elders, the other elders are marketplace elders. That means they work full-time jobs, and they also serve in our eldership team. And then our deacons are doing the same thing. And then you, as grace team leaders and people who serve in our church, you serve and give many hours of your week. And I love that and I'm so thankful. But here's what happens. To move forward on projects and on things, we have to have considered uh, commitment that lasts, that it does, the ball doesn't get dropped. And here's what happens in marketplace. Someone says, man, I'm excited. They're passionate, they're gifted, and they're ready to go after something. They take on a project, and now I move away from trying to lead it to now, or, I, or I'm not doing it at all, and then I can oversee, and I can connect with them. We can have some meetings, and we can move downfield, and then something happens in their life 100% legitimate. And guess what happens? Whatever that project was, whatever that leadership initiative was, gets dropped. And, and I, I tried to pick it up. I learned at some point I can't because I pick it up and then I do everything poorly instead of a few things doing them well. So what, that's where staff comes in, paying someone who can come in. Now, I'm, I'm not talking about paying someone to, to reach people for Jesus. That's all of our jobs. I'm not talking about paying somebody to serve, then you don't have to. That's all of our jobs as believers. I'm saying paying someone who can help us be consistent towards growth and impact and reaching people and helping to save marriages and counseling and ministry and young people, especially going after young people and, and uh, you know, young married couples and on and on. There's so much more we could do if we have staff, but it takes commitment. It takes generous living. It takes generous giving. Then traveling apostolically. We were invited on our Texas trip, totally surprised us. We were invited to come back in and to speak into this newfangled church that's beginning. And they said, you, we've been watching you guys. We believe you guys can help us build an eldership team, help us build a church. Would you be willing to do that? And we're like, ah, that's hard. We, yes. So we can call, we can talk on the phone, we can do some, we'll send you some stuff, we'll connect you some resources. Yeah, but can you come out here and do it? And the answer is, I want to. But if we do, that means we won't, won't be here for some, maybe two or three Sundays in a row. And, that, and that's fine because, again, we have Diane and others who can teach and preach, and that's great. But it also means that, that other things have to be doing. So that's where that staffing comes in and everybody serving comes in. All that has to happen if we're going to go out and build apostolically into other churches and take what God has given us as a gift and give it away generously. We want to lead more in our city. We were asked to lead <clears throat> to help facilitate the leadership team for the 24-hour time and prayer 
uh, in, in our city, and it's been phenomenal. It's been incredible, and God's been doing some great things, but it takes a little bit of our time. Now, we do it in the evenings, not during our, our time during the day. We've done it during evenings. I'm at the coffee house some Sundays, I mean, some weekdays, and I'll have a meeting over lunch with somebody. And so we're doing that kind of outside and separate from what we could do the church, but how awesome would it be if we were able to give more and more of our time to help build leadership um, you know, projects and leadership aspects in our city? We've been asked to be a part of a, uh, some pastors coming together that was su- very surprising to me, asked to be a part of that because all the other pastors are, are churches you would recognize in our city. They're pretty big churches, and, and I guess they just assume we're that big. <laughs> part of that is because we have such a strong presence in our city, and I love that. But, but it's going to be tough if we can't grow and move forward in those areas. We want to lead more in our city. So here's kind of getting toward the end. I want to talk about the need. There's two ways to make a budget work, whether it's your budget at home, whether it's a business, whether it's a church, and that means you have to spend less and you have to make more, (laughs) right? I know that's hard math for some of us, (laughs) especially me, but that's just the the gist of it. And so we've been monitoring carefully for the last several years about where we are as a church and where we're going and leaning into what do we need to do to grow and all those different things. We have cut everywhere we can everywhere. But our, our, some of our needs have gone up. It, it, we had to increase what we were paying the people who were taking care of our property. We had to increase what we're paying for people who were, who were doing in, you know, the work in our building because their, you know, their inflation is happening too. And so they need more money to do the same amount of work. And we know because the guy who's cutting our lawn, we went through 11 people before we got him. <laughs> so he was the best we could do. So we cut everywhere we could. We found out that the people who were, who were taking our trash away was charging us way too much money. And we found a competitor and dropped that by almost 50 to $100 a month. And that was like, that was so awesome. We cut out our telephone and, you know, we had a telephone service at the church. And people were like, what, why would you have a telephone ch- service at church? And that's what we said too. So <laughs> we don't need that. So we just find every way that we can to try to cut. But what you can't cut is you can't cut ministry. You can't cut relationship because that's the lifeblood of the church. So we need to grow in those areas. So what helps? Um, What if some of you guys write a really big check for us today? Some people are like, what is a check? So that little box is that's where you put checks over there. Karen and I do it. I think Lawrence, (laughs) there's like two people, three people. Oh, Susan Susan does. That's awesome. Three people write checks. Is that going to help us? And the answer is, yeah, it'll help. But that's not what we really need. What we really need is everybody giving. Everybody serving, everybody be, being and stepping into the generosity that God has called us to. So what does that look like? It looks like God is our source. And as I, as I get ready to wrap up, part of what I want us to understand today is that we can be generous because God has been generous. And if we forget that, then we start thinking about if I'm going to give, if you've never given and you want to start giving, or if you've been given and you want to give more, sometimes you give based on your circumstances. And I'm just challenging. I'm not saying don't look at your circumstances. I'm just saying, don't let your circumstances lead you. That's what I'm trying to say. So I preached a message several years ago, and I talked about what would it look like, what would it look like if everybody was obedient in the local church? You were giving what you should give. You were serving where you should serve. You were doing mission work in your sphere of influence. What would the church look like? And what it would look like is the book of Acts. Added to the church daily. Multiplied on the on and on and on, people were just being added to the church constantly. Why? Because we were all doing our part. We were seeing marriages rescued. We'd see lives made whole, inheritance realized in people's lives. People who thought that they couldn't have the good life, couldn't have the good things because of the way they lived or the way they've been brought up. And God wants to change that. 
We've been called to deliver the gospel of grace. This gospel changes lives. It transforms people's lives. And where they were in the negative, where they were in the red, God moves them into the black and then he puts his favor upon them. And they begin to live life, but not just life, always more abundantly. So the New Testament is very clear on what you should give financially in all these other ways. We've already talked about some of that. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, you must each decide in your heart. So I don't get to tell you what to give. I would like to. I have some suggestions for you. If you would just hand me your checkbook and look the other way, I would solve all of our problems at DCF. (laughs) But I don't get to do that. What I get to do is tell you what you should do, and what you should do is listen to what the Lord is saying to you. This is what it says. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. What about 10%? 10% is the old covenant. It's called tithing. It turns out that it wasn't just 10%. Tithing was actually up into the 20 and the 30%, but don't go read your Bible because that'll just get you in trouble. But that's what tithing was really like. We just take one or two scriptures and we use those and say we should give a tenth. But, but here's part of that problem. The problem with giving a tenth is you have no relationship with the, who, the person who's sourcing you to give in the first place. You just start giving 10%. That's all you do. And if you're doing that, man, you're way above most people. I'm just being honest. So if you're doing that, great. But that's not how the Bible talks about the New Testament giver gives. They decide in their heart, Lord, what is it you want me to give? If it's 10%, give 10%. If it's more, give more. If it's less, give less. God will talk to you about what to give. But the old covenant was, if this was the old covenant and the new covenant is a new and a better way, then obviously we can do this. But God's saying you can do even more. And I'm going to talk to you about how you do that here. He says, don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. There it is. This is how you do it. God will generously provide everything you need. Generously provide everything you need. And then it says this. Then. You know why it says then? Because if you start giving, you put something into play. Until you begin to give, you're not taking God at his word. You're not trusting him as your source. You're doing it your way. You're giving what you can give, what you think you should give. All those ways that the world thinks about how to do those things, how to give into charity, that's the old way. The new and the living way says that God will give you everything you need so that you can give generously. Then it says this, then you will always, you know what always means, means in the Greek? always (laughs) you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others this is God's picture of generous giving so here's what God expects out of that scripture three things the giver must give as he purposes in his heart nothing wrong this morning I am encouraging you to give there's nothing wrong with us doing that that's totally appropriate to do that And it's also appropriate that we would stir you to give. Remember I read that scripture in Hebrews? To to contemplate, think through, process how we can stir one another up, up to love and good works. This is one of those. It means that a person is to think about the need intentionally. What am I giving towards? If you're just giving to the church, don't give. The church, the church, whatever that means in your head will flat out disappoint you, right? If you're just giving because you feel you ought to, Stop doing that. It's not helpful. This is what he says. Don't give out of <clears throat> uh, grudgingly. So not out of sorrow, not with reluctance or regret. If the giver is going to be mulling over his gift and regretting that he had given it, it's probably best not to give it. So don't. 
And if you're like, well, I'm not there yet. I'm, I'm okay with you not being there yet. I was not there for a while. Actually, it turns out that we got saved and the very night we, we got saved, there was a few minutes between we got saved and, and then someone called us to give and we something moved into our heart because we were transformed from the inside out and we gave money. We gave uh, a certain amount of money in German marks because we were in Germany and then, and then also in, in dollars and then we gave it and we're like, oh man, we maybe gave too much because now we don't have anything to eat with on the way home and I thought, well, I'll just steal somebody's fries when they're not looking or I'll have Karen do it. <laughs> but we're like, we'll make it. We'll get home. We won't starve to death, right? We're 20-something years old. We'll, we'll be fine. And then th- just that, that, after, that next, I think, few minutes after that, some guy comes, the guy who led us to the Lord, and he puts in our pocket. You guys have heard me tell the story. Puts in our pocket something. I go back to the room, and I check it, and it was exactly double the amount of money we'd given in, in, in uh, American money and in English marks. And it was the Lord saying to us, because you have given the then part, you gave, I'm going to make sure that you can continue to do that. I'm going to give generously to you so that you can give generously to others. That's what the scripture is saying. It goes through and it says, it keeps going. The giver must not give out of necessity. That's interesting. Listen to this. A person's gift should not be acceptable when it's forced. If you ever feel someone pressuring you to give, if this morning you feel pressure from me to give, please don't give. Don't do it. It's not the right way. It's not God's design, and it's not helpful. The other thing is, um, don't ever be forced to give. Don't give before, because of what you think others will think of you. Don't do that. Don't give just to please other people because you think it's the right thing to do. Don't do that. Don't give others to keep them from pestering you. <laughs> just don't do it. Um, give out a desire. Don't give out a desire for personal honor or recognition. Jesus talked about this. The Pharisees would pray out loud for everybody to hear. And he said, when you do that, you have your reward. Those who pray in secret get their reward a different way. But if you want to be publicly known for how much you give, one of the things we say about DCF, and we've done this over the years, and we love this about our leadership team, we never, the only people who get to lead the church are the elders that the Holy Spirit has appointed. That we take that seriously. So what does that mean? That means people who are wealthy, who want to give money to manipulate us to do things that we wouldn't, wouldn't do automatically, wouldn't do from the Lord, we don't take their money. We just say, no, thank you. You don't, giving doesn't get to lead the church because that's a gift. You know what else doesn't get to lead the church? Prophecy. So this is the, the you know, one, giving is, is a way the wisdom church often gets manipulated. Prophecy is the way the power church often gets manipulated. They come in with a powerful prophetic word, and it's like, oh, intimidate people. And nope, you don't get to do that. You know why? Because we honor the word of God, and we lead appropriately. doesn't mean we don't take people. Someone, someone came and said, hey, well, I'd like to give a big chunk of money. Um, would it be okay if it went towards the, the uh, at the time we needed a new uh, board back there, and they're very expensive? Would it be okay if, you know, that went towards that? And I said, well, I said, let me take a look. And if that's what we feel like the need is from our eldership team, then the answer is yes. But if not, are you okay if we spend that money somewhere else? That person said, absolutely. I'm totally fine with it. It's just my heart. I would love for it to go that. It turns out we were able to do that. So there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with having a desire and telling us that. We have no problem with that. But if you use your gift to try to manipulate the church, uh, lead the church, it's not God's way. So what, what are we asking? I want to finish up with just this. I want to ask you just to take the next step. So everybody in this room probably has a different next step. And that's okay. Because we're all on this journey. Again, one requirement, the expectations are part of the journey. So if you're growing this, wonderful. Giving generously is one of the expectations because it's what a a believer should do, right? So what does that look like? 
For those of you who are not giving at all, or you stopped giving at some point, especially in the last um, season of COVID, or because there have been some circumstances that have challenged you, um, and, and I understand that. We have felt some of those circumstances ourselves. But I want to challenge you to not give because of your circumstances or not give in spite of your circumstances. I want you to give because God is challenging you to do it. So if you're not giving at all, start giving something. Why? Because when you do that, you initiate that scripture I read. God wants you, as you give, he says, then I will begin to give to you generously. He's going to show you, he's going to prove to you that he is your source. And if you are, if you become the person who can give money and give resources out and give time and energy and effort out, then he will make sure you have plenty of that to give. Amen? So if you've not been given at all or you stopped giving, would you start? It doesn't matter. You decide. That's what the Bible says. You decide what to give. You start giving. What about <clears throat> for those who are giving regularly? Maybe you are consistent in your giving. You've been giving 10% your whole life. It's what you do. I haven't changed it. haven't even thought about it since you first became a believer. What I'm asking you to do is to give generously. So don't just let it be about a percentage number. Go back to the Lord and say, Lord, are you okay with that? Or do you want me to increase it? Or do you want me to decrease it? <laughs> now, I, 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 I'm challenged when I say that, but if I'm honest, I believe sometimes the Lord talks to us differently about giving than what I would like him to say. But sometimes he does that, and I'm okay with that. If, I, if I'm going to trust you to grow in your relationship with the Lord, I have to trust you to be able to hear from the Lord what to give. It's very important. So those who've been given regularly, just learn how to give generously. What does that look like? It means stepping your game up. What would it look like to pro so a project that's coming up? Something like, you know, what we're doing back here. Some of you guys are already signed up for that it, with Fostering Hope, and I love that. That's part of giving, um, but giving to the local church. Giving specifically to the place where you're being, being ministered to, and you're part of that family, you're being loved. Give there. So maybe some of you guys are giving to other ministries outside of your local church. I would ask you, pray about continuing to do that, whether you, God is still calling you to support that or he wants to take some of that money and bring it into the local church. And I trust that he can tell us what to do with that, right? He can tell me to continue to give to that other ministry, give more maybe, and he can talk to me about what I should give locally as well. What about those who are already giving generously? That's, some of you guys are already doing that. You've been doing that your whole life. That's just who you are. I wanna challenge you to give sacrificially. So what does that mean? Um, the easiest way for me to do is to tell you a story. So there was a man by the name of Alexander Kerr during the first part of the century, um, early 1900s. Um, he owned a, a bottle or a, uh, I'm not even sure what you call them, but they're like the jars that you can with. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so mason jars. And so he had a company in San Francisco and, and it was they, they heated the glass with oil, but the whole, the whole facility, the entire factory was made out of wood, as most things were. And then the earthquake happened in, in uh, San Francisco in 1906, and he got a telegraph saying, everything's destroyed, you've lost it all. And so he prayed, and he said, but Lord, early in my life, he'd been converted by Dwight Moody, and early in his life, he said, I want to take God at his word, and the Bible says, if, if I give, he will give back to me. If I'm generous, he will make... He will make me generous so I can be more generous. He believed that, so he started giving, not just from his personal finances, but even his business. He started giving a percentage based at, at, in the beginning and began to grow that. And so he finally arrives in San Francisco after everything's happened because they had to take a train, just kind of the way it was. He shows up, and this is what greets him. The entire factory is still there. 
the fire had come up. There were wooden fences around the entire facility. Everything was wooden. There was volatile oil there that, again, that's what they used to heat the glass. It was basically tender, ready to go up. And the flames from the entire city bounced up against the fence and not, did not even burn the fence. And then went around the factory, burned everything within miles in every direction. His factory was the only thing standing. And so because of that, he, he continued to have his advantage in business because other factories had failed and he continued to make more money. Eventually, there was an article in Time Magazine in the 1940s. By this time, his daughter was running the company and she had been so faithful in this that God had exploded. They were the second largest um, jar manufacturer in the entire um, United States of America. Anybody know the first one? Yeah, Bell. Yeah, Bell was the first one. So, so, so he, he grew and they grew, exploded. This lasts for years. And at one point they said he had decided because God had been faithful, he actually started putting leaflets in the jar when they would send out the jars, people who bought them. He put the leaflets inside there to send that out so people could to understand what God had done with him so they could also do it. He was literally sending out Christian messages in every box and people were taking on giving in a way they'd never had before. And at some point they said he had, at, by the end of his life, he was giving 90% of his income away and was only keeping 10. And he could not keep up with how much money he was making. And it was all for the kingdom. He supported missionaries. There's a million things that he did. So what does it look like? It means to give sacrificially. Um, let me read you this quote by C.S. Lewis and I'll close with this. He said, this is in mere Christianity. He said, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. <laughs> I love British people. In other words, if our expenditures on comforts, luxuries, and amusement, etc., is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we are probably giving away too little. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charities, expenditures exclude them. So Jesus was preaching to the Pharisees about them tithing their spices. <laughs> he said, this is what he said. He said, you, sh you should do that. He said, but you should also do the weightier, the more important aspects of the law. It's wonderful that you're giving literally a tenth of your spices. I mean, well done. That's awesome. <laughs> However, you should also do things like loving mercy and, and loving people and, you know, and doing, you know, the weightier matters, the reason why the law exists to show you the nature and the kindness and the goodness. You should do those without leaving the other undone. So what did he mean? I heard a preacher say this, and I thought it was the greatest illustration ever. He said, to his church, I'm not saying this to you because I don't think any of you guys have been to Hawaii lately, but he said, some of you guys are spending 15 grand on vacations to Hawaii and you're not giving one single thing to your church or to any other charity. He said, now here's the thing. God's kindness is amazing. You couldn't be going on $15,000 Hawaiian vacations if God's kindness wasn't working in your life, right? He said, however, you should keep doing that, but don't leave the other undone. And that's the only thing I'm saying this morning. If we're going to accomplish what God's called us to accomplish as a church, we have to grow. And to grow, we all have to do our part. Some of you guys aren't giving anything. 
And, and again, I'm not, I'm not picking on you. I, I know what that looks like. I know the challenges that can come, the circumstances. And that's okay because, again, it's not a requirement. It's an expectation of growth. But part of this challenge is God says, hey, would you, would you test me? Would you, would you let me show you that if you begin to be obedient to what I've called you to be, to be generous in every, every arena? Because this is what he says at the very last of that scripture. It's, it's first, uh, sorry, 2 Corinthians 9-11. Listen to it in two two different versions. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. In other words, our giving, your giving, your serving, there are people out there who are gonna be incredibly thankful. I had the guy in Texas, he told me, he was seven or eight, nine years old when we were, his sister was in our leadership, older sister was in our leadership. We were doing youth ministry in Longview, Texas. And at dinner, he said, can I tell you thank you for something? I said, sure. I mean, you're buying my dinner, but I don't know what you, he's like, no, I want to do that. I want to honor you. He goes, but I want to say thank you. He goes, because at some point you ministered to my dad. He said, my dad was angry. And he said, and he was taking it out on us. And he said, I was becoming the same person. And he said, because you ministered to my dad and he got free of that. I never had to deal with it. He said, can, can I just tell you, thank you. And I almost teared up. I was like, Absolutely. I'm like, I didn't even know you were paying attention. <laughs> you were eight years old with your finger up your nose. I'm like, had no idea. Now he's leading, uh, you know, Bible studies and leading a church. He's doing some great things in the kingdom. That, all of that is because someone gave, someone served, not just me, everybody who made it possible for me to do the things that I've done, which is all the church. All of that, your church planning, all those things are to your credit. Listen to this in the, in the easy to read version. I love this. It says, God will make you rich in every way so that you can always give freely. And your going through us, your giving through us, will make people give thanks to God. God designed us to be a river, not a lake. In a lake, if there's only input, at some point that lake becomes stagnant and it becomes poisonous. It looks beautiful, but you can't drink from it. But a river because it has a source that brings water in and it takes it somewhere else, is always full of life, it's refreshing, it's living. That's what they call living water. It's moving water. God wants to do that in every arena in your life, but especially in finances, in generosity. He wants you to know there's a source that is releasing all of those good things into your life. And because of it, he's designed you now to become a release of those good things into other people's lives. And as we do that, God will make sure that there's more than enough coming in than there is going out. Amen? I hope this has been helpful. I hope you haven't filled pressure. Um, but I do hope that you will really go before the Lord and say, Lord, talk to me about my giving. Be intentional. Maybe for some of you guys, you won't change a thing. Some of you guys, maybe it's time to make some changes. Whatever direction that goes, I know the Lord is our source and he's faithful. Amen? Stand with me. Come on up, Karen. Amen. That was a good message. Um, just living lives of generosity in every arena. And um, this morning our um, prayer team just in, uh, had some time praying and praying over the service, praying over the people who would be here and we felt like that there were some things that would maybe resonate with you. We're going to have those up on the screen. I'm going to ask our ministry team to come up. We would love to pray for you. If any of those things speak to your heart, 
And also, if there's anything else that you would need encouragement for or just a prophetic word, um, I love the Bible says that prophecy is to edify, strengthen, encourage, build up, and exhort. And so we would love to pray for you this morning if any of those things resonate with you. We hope you have a great week, and we look forward to seeing you next week. And remember, after lunch, we're going to be decorating uh, for the Christmas party. But on your way out, be sure and grab. You want to do... Um, uh, Drop, grab one of the tags for the Fostering Hope, and remember you want to be sure and fill out and then put your name on it and drop it in the box of who the child is that you've gotten the gift. So thanks so much, you guys. Have a great week, and we would um, enjoy praying for you this morning if you'd like.